Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Hi, everybody. Merry Christmas. As you can tell, we've really broken out all the Christmas decorations in here, which is not true at all in case you're listening to the podcast. I am uh, glad to be up here tonight, Um, and um, unless this is your first time here, um, you know what we've been doing. If this is your first time here, then uh, I guess what I would say to you is, where have you been? Is it next to the last week of the semester? What took so long? No, actually, I'll say welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. We're really glad you're here. And if, if you are here for the first time, you probably don't know that we are doing a series called God's Playlist. Um, and this is a series that we are doing as we go through Psalms, which is the prayer book of the Bible. Psalms are songs. And so this is God's Playlist, songs that teach us how to pray, that give us words to worship Him and talk to Him. And uh, two weeks ago when I was up here, I did a message on lament. Now that was serious, and it was, I think the Lord really met us, and that was really, really uh, deep time. Tonight's not going to be like that. I mean, the Lord's still going to meet us, but tonight we're going to have fun. We're not going to lament. Tonight is going to be completely different from that. Tonight, we are going to read a different kind of psalm, and the psalm we are going to read is Psalm 104. Now, it is really long. It's 31 verses. And you know what? I'm going to read all 31 of them because it's awesome. And that's just how it's going to be. And it's going to be on the screen, or if you have a Bible, you can turn to it. But here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 104. This is how it goes. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. And now listen to how the psalmist begins to imagine and describe the Lord and everything he sees around him. You're going to see some visual pictures start forming in your head. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and he lays the beams of his upper chambers on the waters. He makes clouds his chariot and he rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messenger, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross, and never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines that flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. I think that's the rain. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle, plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. 
The trees of the Lord are well watered. The cedars of Lebanon he planted. There the birds make their nests and the stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats and the crags are a refuge for the conies. And now he starts talking about the heavens. The moon marks off the seasons and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness and it becomes night. And all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and they seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. And they return and lie down in their dens. And then man goes out to his work to labor until evening. And then he just can't contain himself anymore. And what does he say? How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There's the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number. Living things both large and small. And there the ships go to and fro. And the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they're terrified. And when you take away their breath, they die. And return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they're created. And you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord on my soul. Praise the Lord. It's such a great psalm. I think you picked up on it, didn't you? It's a psalm about creation. Now, if you can't tell, as I got excited as I read that, I'm a nature person. I like things like that. So I'm going to just warn you. I'm going to geek out a little bit up here tonight because I really dig things like that. If you're the kind of person that likes going to national parks, you and me, we'll be tight. We can talk more later. However, today, I'm going to start by asking you a question. Ready? Are there any Discovery Channel fans out there? Gosh, so few hands. You know what Discovery Channel is, right? Come on, all you nature lovers need to watch more Discovery. Because if you watch Discovery Channel, you might see something like this. Never gets old, huh? Nope. It kind of makes you want to break into song. Yep. I love the mountains. I love the clear blue skies. I love big bridges. I love when gray whites fly. I love the whole world. And all its sights and sounds. Boom de yada, boom de yada, boom de yada, boom de yada. I love the ocean. I love real dirty things. I love to go fast. I love Egyptian kings. I love the whole world. And all its craziness. Boom de yada, boom de yada, boom de yada, boom de yada. I love tornadoes. I love a it. I love a magma. I love the giant squids.
world is just awesome. I love that commercial. Boom, da, boom, da. So that was originally made in 2008, and then they made another one in 2009, and then they made a refresh in 2020. And so there are more recent ones. They just keep doing them. But I love that commercial because it echoes what we just read in Psalm 104. And it's a great commercial. Except for one thing. It doesn't go far enough, does it? Because it looks at creation and it says the world is an awesome place. But it stops short of realizing that means the world has an awesome creator. Now look, I'm not naive, right? I don't expect some secular television network to start making religious content and you know, proclaiming the glory of God and creation and such like that. But they should, because that's what the world suggests to us. But that's what Psalm 104 does for us, okay? Now, we have been looking at different ways to pray. The Psalms teach us different ways to approach God. Now, this is a new form of prayer tonight. Psalm 104 is what we would call a meditation. I didn't make that up. It's in verse 34. A meditation. In other words, what the psalmist is doing in this psalm is he is sitting down, he is looking at everything around him, and he is thinking deeply about it. He's not meditating in the sense of like, you know, being Eastern transcendent, transcendentalism or something, but he, he's just thinking deeply. That's what meditation is. And as he looks around, he comes to a conclusion as he sees the world around him. And his conclusion is basically verse 1. And it says... Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, you are very great. That's how creation causes him to see the Lord. So the writer writes down his meditation, for which I am very grateful. And we're going to walk along. We're going to do his meditation with him tonight so he can teach us how to pray and let creation teach us how to worship. Now, as I look at this psalm, I see three things that the psalmist sees that I think take him up to the Lord and teach him about God. Here's the first of the three things. The first thing he sees is he sees order. Now I see this in verses 2 through 9. Because as it continues on the psalm, look at what he starts talking about. He starts talking about how the Lord wraps himself in light with a garment. He stretches out the heavens. He's looking at the sky. He's looking at the atmosphere, right? He makes the clouds his chariot. He's looking at the wind blowing the clouds along in the sky. Then he says, he set the earth on its foundation. It can never be moved. And then he talks about the waters and how they flow into the valleys. And you set a boundary they cannot cross, right? Do you see what he's doing in here? Verse 5 is the key verse. He says, you have set the earth on its foundations. You've made it a certain way, and it can't be moved. It can't be undone the way you do it. You see what he's seeing here? What he is seeing here is the order of the natural world. Or maybe let me say it this way. What he is seeing is science, right? He's seeing the atmosphere covering the whole world like a canopy. I mean... No one ever said you can't be poetic about the law of physics, right? I mean, that's what it is. And then he, he sees how that doesn't move. He see, sees how light acts 
and that light is a wavicle. You physics majors know this. Light is not a particle, it's not a wave, but it behaves like both of them, right? But you can't be both, but light is, which is why light is the coolest thing ever. And he says, that's amazing. And then he looks at the water and how the sea doesn't come above, well, sea level. It, it's there. That's where the Lord has put it. He sees gravity. In other words, the psalmist sees science and he sees the order that is in it. And because of that, what he's saying is he sees such amazing design in the physical world. He also sees an amazing designer. And that speaks God to him. Now, the second thing that he sees is wisdom. Look at verse 10. He starts into this section where he says, He makes the springs pour water into the ravines and it flows between the mountains. And he talks about how the rivers flow down and all the animals can drink from it and the birds have trees to, to sit in. And he talks about the rain. He waters the mountain from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, right? Then he starts talking about the sun and the moon and how the moon goes around regularly and the earth goes around the sun and the sun rises and the sun sets. And he sees how God has arranged all this that it works together, right? And in verse 24, here's how he states it. How many are your works, O Lord, in wisdom you made them all. Now, here, he is describing the processes of nature. He's saying, I look at nature, and I see everything works together. The rain comes down, and it waters, and makes rivers, and, and it grows the plants, and the bees drink from it, and it flows down the river into the ocean, and then it evaporates. It goes back into the cloud, and it comes back down. There's this order to it. There's this cycle, and everything works together to sustain life. And this is what is called wisdom. Now, in the Bible, this word wisdom is a technical term. And what I mean by a technical term is when you see a certain word in the Bible that is a technical term, what that means is each time it has a certain meaning that the Bible writers assign to it that we should know. That might be a little different than how the word is used in the vernacular. So the meaning of the word wisdom as a technical term in the scripture is the physical and moral order established by God. It is the physical and moral order in creation established by God. Now, when it comes to people, that gets expressed in living according to the physical and moral order established by God. This is the wisdom that Proverbs talks about, which is basically the skill of living well. Well, what is the skill of living well? It's living in accordance to the physical and moral order that God has created. And this wisdom is what the psalmist sees, right? Now, you see this all through Scripture. Let me do a little brief Bible study with you here when it comes to wisdom. Look at Job 28. You'll see an example. There's so many passages that say this. Here's Job's meditation on it. He says, where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells. In other words, God created it. He knows what wisdom is. He determines it. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. How does Job describe God's wisdom? It's in creation. God has put his thought processes, his design, his wisdom of everything working together in creation. 
Or how about this one? There's Proverb 3. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. Again, God is t- or the psalmist is talking about, psalmist, the writer of Proverbs is saying, in creation, God has set up the earth a certain way. It's not going to change. The laws of physics are the laws of physics, and God designed them to work the way they do. That's his wisdom. Or look at Jeremiah 10. God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his, what? Wisdom. And stretched out the heavens by his understanding. And he describes a thunderstorm. Y'all. Sorry, I told you I was going to geek out. Love me some thunderstorms. Anybody in here just love to like thunderstorms coming down? You like to go outside and like sit, you know, in the screened-in porch and just (laughs) let it, oh my gosh. Some of the, my favorite nights of my life have been doing that. All right. So I'm glad to know that some people geek out about thunderstorms with me. When he thunders, the water and the heavens roar. And he makes the clouds rise from the ends of the earth and sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. That, that thunderstorm, the writer is saying, aren't thunderstorms amazing? Don't they point you to God? And they display his wisdom. Now, all of these things are kind of saying the same things. There is a wisdom in creation how things work together because God has built that order into creation. It's physical and it's moral. Moral is more the concern of the book of Proverbs. But in Psalm 104, the writer sees how the rain falls from the sky, the snow turns to the streams, flows down through the mountains, yada, yada, yada. He sees how God provides food for the birds and the lions. And even for us. I love verses 14 and 15 of this psalm where it says he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for men to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil that makes his face shine, bread that sustains his heart. Those verses are what I call the biblical basis for foodies. I'm a foodie, and I love these verses, because that's me. I, I just, I love, I love food. I'm like, good food, good drink, ah, I'm so happy. That's what foodies do, right? And that's what the, psalm, the psalmist is saying, God made all this. He, he gives you good things from the earth to eat and enjoy. That's a celebration, That's part of who God is. Love that. See, y'all, this is the wisdom of God. We see how everything works together, whether it's the the sheer exact constants that cause nuclear attraction in atoms and molecules to be what it is, or that gravity is a certain force, or that the earth is a certain distance from the sun so we don't burn up or freeze. All these things, God makes work together. I had a friend... I can't remember who, though. I was talking to, maybe I wouldn't call him a friend, but somebody I met was talking about this <clears throat> not too long ago. And he told me that for him, he, he at one point was really kind of skeptical about God's existence and then started studying some stuff. And he said one day, he just kind of looked at the world and realized, wow, man breathes in oxygen and produces carbon monoxide. Plants breathe in carbon monoxide and produce oxygen. And he was like, done, I believe. That simple design was enough for him. Now, that may not be enough for everybody, but it was for him. He could just see it. It's like, wow, there's a wisdom in creation. There's got to be something that arranged that. I think that's pretty great. Third thing. Third thing that the psalmist sees in creation is diversity. Verse 24. How many are your works, O Lord, in wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There's the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, 
and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. Right? Boom, diada, boom, diada, boom, diada. That's what he's doing. He's just looking at creation and saying, wow, look at all these things. And then he says, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May you rejoice in his works because he's made so many of them. And ladies and gentlemen, I've invited a special guest to join us tonight. I would love for you to welcome to the screen one of my favorite things. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Phasmatidea. Thank you. Otherwise known as the common stick bug. This is a stick bug. This is one of my favorite creatures. I never really knew what a stick bug was until 10 years ago when I saw my first one. The stick bug, <clears throat> the stick bug inhabits five continents around the world. It is very prevalent throughout North and South America, almost everywhere except in Brazil along the Amazon in the Brazilian rainforest. Um, it is a, a healthy species, but it is near at-risk status. And it is also one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And you know why this speaks God to me? Because when you look at that, it seems like there's no way that could be alive. And all I can picture is the Trinity one day up there making stuff. And one of them says, I know. Let's make a bug that looks like a piece of pine straw. And another member of the Trinity says, why not let's make a bug that looks like pine straw? And they made this guy. I occasionally will find one of these in my front or my backyard at my house. I found one several weeks ago. It was a gift from the Lord. And um, I just... This is literally what I, y'all, I told you I'm going to geek out. I got, man, I'm going to take too much time because I just love this stuff. I saw a stick bug once on a tree in my backyard. You know what I did? I went and I got one of those folding camping chairs and I just like put it out and I sat down and I just stared at the stick bug for like 45 minutes. My wife was like, what are you doing? I was like, not a stick bug. I just think they're amazing. But I got to tell you this. So a few years ago, my family took a little vacation through the Northeast, came down through Washington, D.C., went to the Smithsonian. We went to the Museum of Natural History. I was walking through the museum, and they had these little glass cases with different, you know, creatures of North America. And sure enough, there was a case with stick bugs. And I was like, oh, all these stick bugs in one place. And I was like, come here, you've got to look. This is amazing. And I was geeking out about the stick bugs, right? So thoroughly enjoyable. Then I walked to the next case. And I look in there, and there's nothing in it, except this, like, branch with dead leaves all over it. And I was like, tap, tap, tap. And it's like, there's nothing in there. It's just a dead branch. And then there was a little fan on the top, and this little air current started blowing. Like, every few seconds, they would blow this air current through, and the leaves began to move. And I suddenly realized there is also something called a leaf bug. <laughs> Let me tell you. 
there was some very quiet but intense worship going on in the Smithsonian that day. Because God has made a diversity of creatures and all of them reflect him. You see, this is, this is what the psalmist said. This is what's so incredible about it, right? Um, he goes on, and in verse 31, which is kind of the crowning verse of the psalm, he says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. In other words, this vast diversity of things he's made pleases God, and it glorifies him because the diversity points to him. This verse is what I call the biblical basis for environmentalism. I'm just going to let that one hang there for a second. Let that sentence hang there. Because I know as soon as I said that sentence, two things happened in this room. And don't deny it. Some of you kind of sat up on the edge of your chair and were like, why do we never talk about this in church? And then others of you mentally at least, might have sat back in your chair and kind of folded your arms and your skepticism about me went up a degree or two. Because you heard the word environmentalism. And of course, how could those reactions not happen? Because it's one of those terms that is so politically charged in our day and age, right? I mean, it has so much baggage attached to it. I know. When we talk about environmentalism today and we use that word, we get these reactions because typically, you know, there's so much politics. It's like you're on one side, and it's like, okay, well, if you're going to care about the earth, then you also have to care about, you know, all these other things. You've got to be big government and high taxes, and you've got to care about abortion rights, and you've got to, you know, multi-sex bathrooms, and you've got to have all these different things. And you're like, ah, I just, I just care about the earth. But then maybe you're on the other side. And you have people telling you, oh, you can't care about environmentalism. That's one of their issues. And we have this big divide. It's like there's all this baggage. Good news for you. As Christians, we do not get dictated to by any certain political group or candidate or ideology or media source. We, as believers, are taught by the word of God what our beliefs and values are according to the wisdom of God. And so when it comes to environmentalism, I say, yes, this verse is part of the biblical basis of environmentalism because it reflects something about God's value system. And you know what? We can reject all that other political stuff and all the baggage that comes with it, and we can deal with that piecemeal. But what this verse is trying to tell us is this. We care for our environment because it reflects the Lord. In actuality, when it comes to the proper way to think about environmentalism, a Christian has a much stronger basis for caring about the environment than a naturalist does. Because what does a naturalist say? A naturalist, someone who doesn't believe there's anything spiritual, looks at the world and just sees physical. There's nothing but physical matter. But that kind of leads to a contradiction because then, if that's really true, all we are is just atoms. And atoms come together and atoms dissolve, whether they be a rock or a tree or a star or a human body. We're just physical matter. And a naturalist will say, well, see, we should care about the earth because we need to all see we're made of the same stuff. 
We care about that tree because we're just the same stuff as that tree. So we don't have any greater value than the earth does. But what he doesn't tell you is that, yeah, that's true. We, don't, we wouldn't have any greater value than the earth does. But, but that value is no value at all. Because we'd just be physical matter floating through the universe. There'd be no meaning. Why would you care about the environment? You shouldn't care about anything if that's the case, if there's no God. But a theist... We have so many reasons to care about God's creation. You know, in Genesis 1, it says that we're to steward it. I'm not going to give you a complete biblical basis. I could talk to you more about that later. But, you know, in Genesis 1, it says that we're stewards of creation. In Genesis 8 and 9, when God, you know, has the Noah covenant and he makes the promise to Noah, he talks about how he's making a covenant with the earth to never destroy it again. God is an earth protector. If we're on his side, that means we're like that. And then you get this verse, verse 31, where the psalmist says, How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you created them all. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. The way we see the glory of the Lord, one way we see it is in his creation. To, to participate in creation as God designed it, to steward it well, to use it for our benefit as he intended it without exploiting it, this glorifies God. It points to him. That's what the psalmist sees. That's how this scripture tells us God is glorified. It's a beautiful meditation, is it not? It teaches us how to pray by paying attention to what is around us. Pray with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, you are very great. Father, when we look around and we see the world you have created, Lord, when we see the breath of life that you have breathed into everything, when we see your design, when we see your order, when we see your diversity, Lord, you're amazing. Father, give us eyes to see. Lord, give us eyes to, to pray like the psalmist prayed. Father, teach us the words to say that result in, in worship and joy in you. Father, we praise you and thank you tonight that you are such a God, that you are a God who gives us good things. You, gives us, you give us the water we need and the food we need. And not only do you meet our needs, but you give us pleasure in it. Lord, you give us sunshine and rain. You give us the light. You give us spectacular northern lights. You give us sea creatures that we've never even contemplated. Lord, you're, you are great. Oh, Lord, you are very great. You are creative. You are interesting. And you are concerned about us. And you give us many good gifts. I guess it's appropriate, Lord, that after this week of Thanksgiving, we would give you thanks. And we, we have just celebrated with so much of the good food that you give us from the earth. Lord, we worship you tonight. And we say thank you, Lord, for teaching us how to pray in a way that reflects your amazing nature. Receive these worship songs from us tonight as a continuation of that. We love you.